Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Potsednik hits one to deep right center field. Back at the wall. This ball is gone. Potsednik goes deep. His second home run of the postseason. And the White Sox win it 7-6. Yeah, we know we played it an hour ago. We don't care. <laughs> this hour on Hit and Run is brought to you by Menards. Save big money at Menards. It is Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Nick Hostetler, the White Sox scouting director, will join us in one hour. But right now we're uh, pleased to have Scott Pitsednik as our guest co-host here on the show. So that is game two of the 2005 World Series. So later, right after, a couple seconds later, Tim McCarver says, how do these things happen? So that's what you were saying in the stands after the ball came (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I'm in the press box. I'm trying to hold my decorum. I'm a respected member of the media, not allowed to be excited, Scott. (laughs) But but I'm telling you, like, everybody raced to go downstairs, and I just stayed up there in that auxiliary press box way down the left field line there um, at what was the cell at the time, and I stuck my recorder out the window just to listen. They were singing Go Go White Sox. They're singing Na 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 Hey Hey Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Just like PA working through some of the songs, some of the classic songs in the canon. And they'd each, each play a couple times. And it was cold. Yeah, it, it was cold. It was cold. It was. Um, and rainy. Ball so, wouldn't carry it. Yeah, well, <laughs> it carried for Canerco and it carried for you. I remember the fist pump. Um, as you got around first base, was there a scream? There was a scream, the, the most uh, passionate, emotional scream that I've let out to this day. Really? Yes. So, so were you were you able to be mindful? Or were you able to be like thinking about stuff in that in that moment? The the fist pump and the the yell after I let this out is you know as deep and as passionate. I I had these thoughts of my father. Um, I, 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 I have the utmost respect for that man. I, I don't think that I would have accomplished the things that I did or, or, or grinded as, as far as I did without um, witnessing him and the way he went about his business, uh, just the type of character and the type of person he is. I get choked up just, just talking about him. I have, have um, so much respect for him. Um, and and I, I just I had this, this thought of, of, of all the, the, the fly balls he would hit me in the yard and all the times that we would play catch and he wasn't an overbearing dad but but um he just kind of taught me the fundamentals and um that that was one of the thoughts as I was rounding the bases and he was behind home plate and got a chance to to witness it and be there oh. um but but even given you know the the road I took to get there you know the the nine year grind and and how long and how much work I'd put in um just a you know an incredible feeling i have I have two children but in terms of competition you know that feeling and those thoughts was something that I knew that I would never going to be able to reproduce. It's as good as it gets. Good as it gets. The, the, you know, and I've thought about this. The only at that time, now it wouldn't work. But I said, well, the only way I could top this is if I hit one in the seventh inning for the Cubs. 
Because they, they had they had had won one since nineteen. Uh, so I'm like, oh, the chances in of the that. Se- seventh game. I'm sorry, seventh yeah. game. Uh, yes, for the Cubs. So I'm like, that's probably not. Gonna Wait, happen. that's hilarious. Did you did you think about that at points well, afterwards after, in your well, career? Yeah, I said that's what's uh, left. What's left? There's no. You can't top. You can't top that hit. How are you going to top that? It will have to be the seventh game. <laughs> And it'd have to be for one of the then longest going franchises at the time was the Cubs. So. Right. Yeah. So that's 88 years. Cause that was, so the 1917 World Series, the White Sox won. Then when you guys win a series in Boston, beating the defending champion mm-hmm. Red Sox, that was the first postseason series the White Sox had won in 88 years. 88 years. years. That, and that just added to, you know, how special that year was. Well, but how, how about the, the, uh, the fact that your dad does enter your mind in that trip around the bases did he did he did he catch his eye behind the plate? No, there was there was ruckus, and I, I remember around in third, and I, I was I see video and I'm just breathing, you know, I'm trying to, to breathe, and I'm I'm literally thinking, what in the world just happened? It, it, is this really happening? You know, and then yeah. you you get home, you 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 touch home plate, and you get mobbed by your teammates, and it's just, you know, it's as it's the it's as good as it gets. You know, sit there and celebrate with your teammates on, on something like that. I bet there's got to be players, like pals of yours, former players, who are envious that you have that moment to hold on to. They might not give voice to it. <laughs> I'm telling you. Like, they might give you crap about it or whatever, but they got to have envy because you've got that. I mean, that's a very – how many walk-offs in the World Series have there been to begin with? Yeah, that was, very four, few. That was 14. That was 14. Yeah, and uh, Frio hit one for the Cardinals – there's been one since against the Rangers. Yeah, David Freeze. Freeze, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and we'll I, see you tomorrow night. Was Joe Buck's <laughs> call imitating his dad at that one? So I'll uh, after Canerco hit his slam yeah. in the sixth, I, my my jaw was dropped, and, and I'm I run out to left field, and, and I'm playing catch with with Rowan, or no, I'm sorry, bullpen coach. Mm. And in between pitches, yeah, I've said this before. In between pitches, I'm looking over at, and I'm staring at Canerco. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world does that man feel like? He just hit a grand <laughs> slam in the, world to, in the World Series to put his team up by one. So I'd watch the pitch, get back, and my eyes were just locked on him the entire time. Think, and, that, and those were the thoughts. Like, what does that feel like? <laughs> well, give yourself a couple innings. Give yourself a couple innings and it'll come back. Craziness. Um, I want to stay in that playoff run for one second. I mentioned the Boston series. Um, what is it? What's it like when when El Duque goes out there and gets out of base? Oh my god! Bases loaded, nobody out in the sixth inning at Fe- at Fenway Park. Matt, it's crazy you bring this up because I w- I had this conversation with my father about two weeks ago, uh-huh. and my mom was there and and, and Lindsay, and we were, were discussing. Um, I, you know, I was explaining exactly to Lindsay, you know, the situation and and what had happened. But um, it, it's funny you now bring that up. But I, I that was it was wizard. Oh my gosh! And 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 at our reunion when we all came back, mm-hmm. there was a little break in time that I talked with El Duque about it. I'm like, we got to talk about it. Like, let's let's break it down and, and to hear him kind of go over, you know, his perspective of it. And um, oh, that's and cool. The, and the way it went down was was really neat. Um, because AJ, you know, there was a conflict on what he wanted to throw and, and a couple of those three, two counts, you know, <laughs> AJ walk all time. And, and he's finally was like, okay, this is just throw it, you know, yeah. throwing a curveball and got Damon to check swing. Um, but yeah, what, what an occurrence. And, and after Damaso Marte had loaded the bases. Yeah. It's okay. It's all right. Damaso. <laughs> Duque's got you. And I vividly recall I'm standing out there and the, that bullpen gate opened up and his gate 
from right field to home plate, yeah, you could tell there was a purpose behind it. You know, you, you could tell like this guy Man. was was coming in. He 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 might fail. He might not do his job, but he was ready. Yeah, and he was embracing the situation. Well, and the context uh, of it, which I always loved, is that. Uh, he was the greatest pitcher in Cuba for a long time. Mm-hmm. A badass. Came to the big leagues as a Yankee starting pitcher. A badass. Yes. By the time he's a White Sox player and he's in the bullpen, because that starting rotation was so good, you know, it, it's it's a middle relief role, but he was still El Duque yes. the badass who survived, like, getting from Cuba to here and everything. It's like, that's a strong, strong man. You know, during the break, we were talking about uh, – you know, the intangibles of, of great competitors. Yeah. You know, this guy had a sense of competitiveness that that was where this guy thrived. And that was when guys like that were going to be at their best. Mm-hmm. When their backs are up against the wall, it's me against you. Yep. Let's get it on. Yeah. And, you know, the stage was set for him and he let it hang out. All right. I told you I, I was done with that playoff run, but I lied. <laughs> I lied. Um, ALCS game two, bottom nine tie game. Doug Eddings calls A.J. Pruszynski out on a strikeout. Angels catcher Josh Paul rolls the ball to the mound. And then A.J. sells it. Just a pure, pure hokum sell job from A.J., right? Incredibly heads-up play. Right, but he's, he's just—he's. He, I mean, did you guys know that it was probably phony? No, no one knew. I was look. I was trying to get find my glove to, to you know, to, <laughs> to go to run out the left field. Uh-huh. And I look up, and AJ's on first base. I'm like, "What happened? What happened?" And you know, the the, the video replay wasn't that detail, or oh no, it wasn't. We had at, none of that. That's low res, baby. So yeah, it's funny. So yeah, I look back on some of that video. Oh no, <laughs> you kidding me? Can we get it put in high definition? That please? doesn't happen. If that is this era, it doesn't happen because. They they, no. they replay it and they check it out. No. I so, assume that's reviewable. Now I don't know if that specific play is reviewable. But either way, the cameras would have would have given it yeah. up. Yeah. So look, we we caught so many breaks throughout that series, and you have to, you know, you have to. But we took advantage of them. You know, mm-hmm. we, if uh, Creedy doesn't come up and, and hit the ball off the wall in left field, or Ozuna stole second. Yes. Right after that. Right. So, yeah. O- Ozuna pinch runs for AJ and steals. And steals second. So you know you you take advantage when uh, opportunities present present themselves, and we did. Six seventy. The score is what you're listening to. It's hit and run. Texters says, "Hey, uh, Kirby Puckett was the Jack Buck call." Yes, it was. And then when David Freeze did it, Joe Buck paid homage to his dad with that same call, which I I totally love that symmetry of it. Um, all right, so AJ. So this came up. It was a week ago, I believe, was the anniversary of uh, of AJ doing his thing um, with Michael Barrett. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and well, it's Barrett who does his thing, and then AJ. I mean, AJ was being AJ, and then Barrett does his thing. But then I somehow I had forgotten until uh, my buddy Nick Shepkowski here at the Score reminded me <laughs> that it's you, Scott Bensednik. <laughs> Who buries your head into Michael Barrett's chest and drives that man to the ground. (laughs) And while this is happening, AJ is like exhorting the crowd, (laughs) like waving his arms around and walking off like, yeah, I did that. I I did that. But you're the one doing the heavy lifting. (laughs) By that time, I was at the bottom of the crowd getting punched. What, what, uh, what of all of all the guys to be standing there? We, Chicago has their leadoff hitter to take the the catcher on. He uh, was pro- I was probably given about 25, 30 pounds of Barrett. He's you know much bigger guy than I, and he was nuts. But, he was a little nuts he, too. Yeah, it was crazy, absolutely. So, but I uh, 
I just, you know, it was talking. I, I did plenty of s- sled pushes and tire pulls. I just put the head down and started grinding the feet. You know, didn't run through the scrum. Yeah, it looks like it looks like an Oklahoma drill in a football practice. Like, I, oh, I'll get you down. That's what the little the little scat back has to do to put the defensive lineman down. Um, it, it just just instinct take over. Just, just like- instinct. I mean, I heard I heard the, the splat, and uh, I was like, well, hey, this is on, and then. You know, the next thing I know, I'm at the bottom of the pile pretty much. It kind of all happens pretty quick. Wow. That's awesome. Um, he is Scott Pitsednik right here on 670, the score and hit and run. Let's come back. Let's talk about this White Sox team and the rebuild because you, my friend, are doing pre and post on NBC Sports Chicago, mm-hmm. and you'll be doing that today for White Sox and Twins. So we will take it current in a matter of moments here on 670, the score. So why aren't you sending tweets every day and all night, Scott Pitsednik? Oh, man, I am the worst, I'll tell you. I have an email account and I text. That's about it. All right, well, that's good. It speaks, but I like Speaky. I'll take Speaky. All right. Um, Let's see, Pods254. Yeah. Is that you? I couldn't get it verified because I I don't send anything out. (laughs) Well, you know, it's all right because I think you've waited long enough that Twitter's kind of becoming passe. You know, I think you've outlasted it. Oh, man. There's something else will happen. There's always going to be this need to have an online presence. Um, but, you know, it's all right. It, the, the content is what matters. Your, <laughs> your content you're providing when you work today. So who's it? You and, you and Chuck Carfine? Chuck and, and I, yeah. It's been, uh, been a real neat opportunity. I really enjoyed um, these shows with these guys. It was a pleasure working with Bill all of last year. He's such a treat to be around. Yes, he Talk is. about the game. Uh, just a you know a wealth of knowledge there. Uh, Chuck and his great personality, fun to be a part of. So yeah, I've really enjoyed um, you know this opportunity and get to come back to the city, be around the game, mm-hmm. um, stay connected to this White Sox organization. So I've loved it. As you see the position players that are here now, um, who are the guys that you look at and you say, man, that is going to be that that guy could be part of a of a winner. Well, they have a, a good nucleus of guys and they have plenty of talent. Um, you know, the, the, the talent surround, you know, that Johan Mankata runs out onto the baseball field every day is just kind of eye popping. I mean, the guy is, is, is so gifted, um, as an athlete. Um, but talent is one thing, you know, we've been having these conversations today about what a winner is and what a team of, uh, of the right parts and the right people. Absolutely. There's, There's so much that goes into contending. You know, you know, playing 500 baseball is one thing, but but being a legitimate contender and competing against the best teams um, at a world level, that's a whole different animal. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if 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 those intangibles, when you know, when we start talking about competitiveness, will discipline uh, the, the grittiness, um, the, the choices you have to make on a day in and day out basis. I don't know if those can be taught, but those are the things that you have to have if you're going to contend on a night in and night out basis. Mm. So um, I, I feel like that's the last piece of the puzzle to figure out who those guys are when putting a team together, you know, for individually and for, for putting a, a club together. That's, that's kind of the last piece, you know, so they do have some talent here. Um, they got some guys that can go out and, and get it done. Um, you know, the consistency at which they're going about their business isn't mm-hmm. quite there yet, but again, those that goes about, or goes to you know developing as a professional. These guys yeah. still have a lot to learn. They're young, right? Um, and as we watch these guys and we see some of them evolve and, and some of them develop, and we get to know them more, mm-hmm. we can start to identify. I think some of those guys. I, I, I think so. It, yeah. Like, for instance, 
I was really bummed that Carlos Rodon got hurt because I thought the arc of his entire run as he battled health and then mm-hmm. battled himself and then figured out to throw the change up more and right. find the confidence. I thought he really had arrived at a place where he was had the potential to to be mm-hmm. an absolute piece. Yeah. Um, in terms of guys there now, if I if I asked you, you know, not talent wise, but just like who who might have what it takes that thing. Well, anybody pop to you? Well, you know, t- talent-wise, Leo Lopez is obviously there. Giolito seems to be turning a corner. He has made uh, great strides and, and made adjustments. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's finally finding how to get out of his own way. You know, it, it never was, uh, a, you know, a question of talent or his arm. It was just a, a matter of, of managing that and using it to the best visibility. Um, you know, Jose Abreu has got the greatness and the, and the presence. I think that every club needs. You know, in terms of that leadership, mm-hmm. uh, he's been just very stable and, and kind of a rock um, in that clubhouse there. Um, but the pieces are there, uh, the consistency and the you know the grittiness um, and, the, and the nuances of, of contending day in and day out are, are going to come. Mm-hmm. At, le- at least we we hope they are. Yeah. You know? yeah. The guy I keep waiting for you to say is Anderson because I, I have a love affair with Tim Anderson. Um, and I, 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 I talked about it in the spring and then here he is with the results coming there. But I feel like m- maybe it was the way that he responded to the Machado thing, which was screw him. We don't need him. Yeah. Let, no, this is, this is our team. And, and along the way, Oh, sure. Stop. That's my spot. All right. We'll figure out where Manny's going to play. And then if he had come here, then they work something out, whatever. But his his confidence and his swagger, his willingness to to put himself out there and be that guy. Absolutely, I, I love the uh, the improvements he'd made on his entire game over the last couple of years. He's worked tirelessly on his defense. His mm-hmm. backhand is getting better. Um, you can tell, you know, based on on some of the things he says, he he wants to become. Um, that elite impact player. Yeah. And, um, you know, those are things we talk about. Do these guys have that that want and that will to be able to do the things behind the scenes to improve their games? Mm-hmm. Tim Anderson seems to be um, one of those guys, and it showed out on the baseball field. His approach at the plate is much better. He's hitting the ball to all fields. I think he's starting to, to understand, you know, how guys are going to try to get him out. He's he's understanding his swing better, mm-hmm. driving the ball to right field, which is which is great to see. Uh, yeah, he says he he says now he's um, thinking. God, if, I, the way that he said it matters. He, he's 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 putting himself. He's he's preparing to accept that it might be a curve. I, I, you know, I, I know it's convoluted the way I'm saying it, but it's not like you can sit there sitting on the curve, but he is ready to accept that, okay, this is he's ready to make that switch. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, it boils down to your approach and your plan of attack up there, mm-hmm. you know, understanding how that guy is going to try to attack you. You want to kind of develop an approach um, that's going to be able to counter what he's going to do. So I think he's sitting fastball, but he's ready to adjust. Absolutely. That he, makes sense. Yeah. He, he, he has his, which, which is why he's hitting the ball to all fields. He's letting the fastball get a little deeper, which mm. keeps you on the off speed pitch. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, to, to hit at a high average, which he's doing and, and to be an impact player, um, you know, you got to be able to cover both both speeds. So, um, so what happened in two thousand nine, which is when you said you figured it out as a hitter? That's amazing to for me to to to, to think about because of the success you had in oh three oh four oh five, and because um, you know, just the, the arc the arc of your career. So, what did you learn in two thousand nine? Well, I, I think it goes back to the things that we're just talking about now. You know, when I first arrived, it was just kind of see ball, hit ball, mm-hmm. stay inside of it. You know, if someone would have asked me, hey, what's your 
plan of attack? What's your approach? What, what do you, what are you trying to accomplish up there? Yeah. And I don't know what my, it would have been interesting to hear what my answer would have been at that point in time. You know, since then I, I gained a greater understanding of how pitchers were going to try to get me out. Um, I started looking at percentages, like w- what speed and what location am I going to get the most of? There we go. And then, you know, you, you start breaking that down. And, and for, the, for the most part, if you look at any any big body of work, you, you're going to get a fastball out over the plate. So it only, if, if those are the if you're going to get the most of those, then it just made sense to me that I need to learn how to hit that pitch. Uh-huh. So I then, um, you know, looked at my skill set. I wasn't trying to hit home runs. I, I was most valuable on first base or on second base. So I then came, worked with with Gelly and worked with with uh, Greg Walker on coming up with approach that I could handle both speeds. I was going to be able to hit the fastball the other way, which would keep me on the slow stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then, you know, all having, you know, plate discipline, having the ability to walk and not offer at pitches. Um, and then you kind of just, you know, plan your approach around that. See, so, there you go. That's so, so it's actually, it, it, it's getting the knowledge of what usually happens and knowing that that's usually going to happen. Absolutely. So, so at least you start there, you, even if it doesn't happen starting somewhere and then you can adjust from there and, and, and then making the adjustments, you mm-hmm. have to have the ability to make the adjustments. You have to have the awareness to be able to step back, look at your failures. You start looking at patterns. Yeah. You know, if I if I'm if I'm rolling over and ground and pull, pulling ground balls, okay. Let, well, why is this happening? Yeah. I get with Gellinger, Gelly, why is this happening? Is it uh, is is it mechanical or is it approach wise? So you have to decipher which one of those two. Sure. You figure that out, and then you kind of go to work from there. Okay, See what, what, mm-hmm. what like what were you thinking? Well, I was I was two one. You know, I was, I was looking fastball. I thought I was what. Do you think two one? He's going to throw you a, a pitch right down the middle of the plate or, or in? I know that pitchers miss, but you know the majority. He's just going to try to locate a good fastball away. Well, then why are you looking to pull a pitch two one? Huh. Okay, good thought. He's three one. Why are you looking for for a pitch? Yeah, he's going to miss, and you want to get a little little bigger here. But he's probably going to try to execute a fastball away. Well, why don't we let me gear our sights just a little little farther out there? So you start looking at at, at you know your failures and, and what you're doing consistently. Yeah. And then you put a plan in place to try to start countering that. So so that that's fascinating to me. So at that time, what was the information that you were working from? Was it just experience and you were thinking this is what i usually see and it was conversational yeah we had um a system it was called a bat system i don't ex- exactly know what technology and what software they're using now but we had the ability to go look at certain pictures um versus any kind of hitter you can type in any any type go. of uh of information that you wanted to see so i would pull up um you know lead off type left-handed hitters mm-hmm. and then i would Bit, get a you know a big body of work and then see how that starter pitched those guys. You you, you know sinker sinker change for the most part you're going to see right from righty to lefty. Uh-huh. So I develop an approach sinker change. Okay, that ball is going to be come, you can't pull a sinker. Okay, I'm going to be getting pitches <laughs> out over the plate. So uh-huh. I need to gear my sights you know to hit the the fastball line drive at towards the left side of the field, which is going to keep me. On that changeup. Got you. So, so what, what what was that called? That that system that you guys bat system bat at that system. time. Okay, and and so, now there's there's a million different things. I, I, yeah, I, I, but 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 it, it, I guess my point in bringing it up is that um, sometimes analytics in air quotes gets this really kind of 
ugly connotation, like you're taking the humans out of it. And at its best, analytics will work that the hitting coach comes to you and says, hey, would you like to know this? And says to you, here's here's what they're throwing you, Mm 3-1, every at bat. Every time you've had a 3-1 count against a right-hander in the first five innings of a ball game over the last four years, this is what you're getting. The information is out there, obviously. Right? And, 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 and then you can use it with the with the anecdotal and with the conversation to make the change. Does that make it sense? It can be overbearing. Yeah. It could be too much. Yep. Um, you, you have to kind of know how to use it. And, and every guy's different. Some guys, just like tipping pitches, some guys wanted to know what was coming. Some guys didn't. They were better reactors. That's crazy. Yeah, there were some guys that didn't want to know. Because if you look in, you know a fastball's coming three one. Um, you sometimes you get too big and you try to do too much rather than just sitting back and reacting. Hold so on, it, who, who's who's that? Who's, I, I can't. No, I cannot. Who's the guy? Oh, come on, they're not playing anymore. The guy who's in the uh, he's in the on deck circle was saying, "Hey, he's tipping. You want to know when he's throwing a there, fastball? We know." And there were guys. Come on, I, there there were guys who did not want to know. And and I don't know. I may be wrong on this. Okay, I don't know if Carl Everett is listening right now. But but he, I thought he, he might, might be have, doing dinosaur research. He, he might have been a guy that didn't want to know. He was, he was better reacting. I, I I do remember that there were players got you. who didn't necessarily want to know. That's I, fast, I, that's fast. I wanted to know. <laughs> I, I want to know what's coming. I would want to know too. Here, here's another interesting quick quick little story. Yeah, I, I got to to Kansas City in 2010. Kevin Seitzer was a hitting coach. He comes to me and he said, hey. Boy, he was a good hitter too. Great, great, great guy. Um, worked well mm-hmm. together. He said, hey, do you have any idea what you hit 3-1 last year? And I was getting ready for a sexy number. You know, I thought, yeah. I said, no, I, re- I really don't have any, any ideas. Like, you hit 230, 3-1 last year. I'm like, really? He goes, you know what you hit 3-2? 380-something. Now let's talk about why. So, you know, and then you start. So 3-1, I was – I was looking fastball, trying to do way too much with it. Mm. When you get to 3-2, you become a little more defensive in the at-bat, you know, a little less aggressive, and you just kind of get back to your approach. Mm. So, you know, again, you just kind of never stop learning. It, that that You were able to use the numbers the right way. Yeah. You, you can look at, at what, you, what I was doing 3-1 and trace it back to, you know, I'm getting too big. I'm trying to do way too much. I'm coming out of being Scott Pitsednik. Yeah. Right, I came out of that approach that got me to three one, and then I try to become Joe Creedy or try to become a guy that I'm not. Uh huh. Right. So you know, you take that information. You there's you can there's a, a right way to use it. You know, if you kind of know what you're doing. It's it's interesting if if you know who you are and you're willing to accept who you Absolutely. are. Right. It's it it's funny because you know the best hitters these days can do both in terms of finding a pitch to try and drive. In those first two strikes, mm-hmm. and then with two strikes, they adjust. Last year when the Red Sox win the World Series, it's because with two strikes, J.D. Martinez shortened up and went the opposite yeah, way. you could just see how right? they grind out at bats. Yeah. Yes, you, you, the approach has to change from pitch to pitch, right? It has yeah. to. 2-1, I can afford to... to um, to be a little, little, little more greedy, be a little more aggressive. But mm-hmm. when you get to two-two or one-two, your approach has to change. You can't be in the same mindset one-two as you are two-one. This is you I can't. F- I feel like that is that is a change in how the game sort of functions now. Like how the lineup worked. You were talking about you and Tadahito Gucci at the top, and then the mm-hmm. boppers were there, and everybody kind of did their job. Now I think most lineups have boppers everywhere. They want to have boppers everywhere, but they want those guys to all be able to adjust mm-hmm. with two strikes and become 
more slappy. And, yeah. and is, does that make sense? I feel like everybody's no, being agree. asked to do the whole yeah. package. In, in a perfect world, that sounds great. You know, but but we but all hard, we, huh? we all have strengths and weaknesses. We all have, you know, you you, you got to kind of you got to understand who you are. You got to understand your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Right. And then and then you carve out an approach around that. You you take the information you're going to get. You know, some guys have have problems hitting the fastball away. Right. right. Well, you got to be able to take that information and and figure it out to what's going to best suit you mm-hmm. in the batter's box. When when you had your second run here in 2009, um, and by the way, the bottom of the hour is brought to you by Northwestern Football. Don't miss your chance to watch Big Ten football at Ryan Field this fall as the number 17 Northwestern Wildcats host Ohio State, Iowa, and more. Season tickets on sale now at nusports.com. And we'll be finishing up with Scott Putsednik here in just a couple minutes. you got to get over to NBC Sports Chicago and do pre and post for White Sox and Twins. But you had your second run here in 2009, um, I got into a huge fight at this radio station on air about you with uh, at the time, the afternoon guy was Dan Bernstein and I was the midday guy or one of the midday guys. And he was talking about like, why is Pretsednik hitting leadoff? What are they doing? He's not producing enough. There's not, uh, not enough. And he would point to the numbers and say what was happening. And I was, you know, a, 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 you know, people would were calling me naive or whatever. But I felt like inserting you at the leadoff spot and you behaving like a leadoff hitter is kind of supposed to behave like it, it helped that whole lineup make sense. Like people then moved around all the different slots then, and people seem to take to their jobs and their roles and their positions a little bit more. And if your overall production was not there, say, as much as somebody else's might have been in the leadoff spot – it doesn't matter as much sometimes as them, the whole team knowing, yeah, Scott's our leadoff guy. There we mm-hmm. go. And they know that you can do it. They know what you're doing. They know you have the right approach. Yeah. And, and the team functions that way. Does, does that make sense? Absolutely. I, you, we all, you got to know your role and, and you, you know what you're bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, you know, we look back in 05, like I knew my role. I knew my, understood myself. Tadahito knew his role. And you just go about it that way. I, I think there's value in, 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 being placed in a spot in the lineup to where you know what's expected of you, you yeah. know kind of how you're going to get pitched, you know, um, you know. But the, but look, Joe Madden bounces his guys around, you yeah. know, in that lineup. Yeah, there, the, there's these no, days there's no fixture, you know. Yep, and it's changed. So it, it has. Um, but back then, when we were kind of going about our business, I mean, I, we, we had pretty much a set lineup, and and that was it. That's what we were rolling out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Understood. Um, all right, Scott, this has been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. You bet, Matt. Thanks. Uh, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me Good. here this morning. This was fun. Good. You got it. He is Scott Putsednik. You'll see him on NBC Sports Chicago a little bit later on. Um, we can take your phone calls at 312-644-6767. Your text at 6711. Tweet me at Matt Spiegel 670. Top of the hour, Nick Hostetler, the amateur scouting director for the White Sox. It's hit and run on 670 The Score. Boy, that was some fun, talking to Scott Putsednik this past hour or so. Right, Zach Withers? He's a good dude. Like getting to know him very much, on and off the air. And uh, learned a lot. Love talking about that 2005 team and just his personal story and the arc. But how about that stuff about base stealing? I mean, if you love baseball, 
uh, and, and you missed that, go find it on the podcast or tell a friend just like what that is to be a base runner as opposed to a fast guy. He never stole more than 30 bases in the minors. Then one year he steals 70 in the big leagues because he actually learned how to do it. Yesterday's Cubs game was really, really fun, dramatic, interesting. You Darvish goes seven plus seven innings plus two hitters in the eighth. And then the bullpen finds a way to get it done. It was Dylan Maples, and then it was Tyler Chatwood in the ninth inning. A lot of ups and downs, a lot of intricacies. Uh, We will talk to Nick Hostetler, the White Sox amateur scouting director, at the top of the hour, but we wanted you to hear from Joe Madden after the game yesterday talking about you Darvish's start and much more. That's that's entertainment, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. Should be always that hard doing against you. Wow. They seem to all be like that, especially like recently. We're seeing a lot of good pitching. Uh, the win was uh, the friend to both sides today. But really, you got to give you a ton of credit for getting that deeply into the game. Uh, he, he still had his good stuff at the end. The stuff was still there, but it's 107 pitches, and you just, it's in, uh, deflating when all that happens. Uh, I, he had his quickest inning, the inning before, I think it was a six pitch inning, and I thought he looked really sharp. And of course, with the shorter bullpen, let's give it a roll. But he was he was really good. Um, he was very good. Tough situation, hard ground, wind blowing out. I thought he did great. Sure, I think fans see so and so hasn't pitched in two days, and assume so that reliever is fine. Can you kind of explain the process of why certain guys are down? For, for example, for who? Just like I oh. mean, just in general, I'm saying oh. that, that there's more to it than the last. Well, time. normally if a guy's been down for two days, but it depends on how many pitches he threw two days ago. I mean, with Chatwood, he's a perfect example. I mean, he was barely able tonight. We had him, like, at the, the lowest rung of the ladder uh, to be ready to, to play today, but uh, he assured us that he could go one inning. Um, so normally when, when a guy goes multiple innings and throws, if he goes multiple innings, period, at least, he needs at least one day, sometimes two. Two for sure if he goes 35 to 40 pitches. It's just that you get sore. It's natural. You get sore. You you exercise the arm, and sometimes the, your back and down to your your butt really gets sore all the way down the the side that you throw from, just from reaching out so much. So if there's more to it than meets the eye, and again, I realize these guys may pitch up to 65, 60 to 70 games during the, the summer, and you play 162, almost half your games they might be involved in. So there's not a lot of downtime, and there's a lot of effort involved. So um, it depends on innings pitch. If it's just one and ten pitches, of course he's going to be fine the next day. If it's one plus and 27, he might need a day, maybe two. So, And everybody's different. That's another thing you have to realize. Not everybody's cut from the same cloth recovery time, and that's another thing you have to know about your guys. So we, we try to get the Nora guys well. We have our, our own little uh, cocktail regarding uh, usage, and we stand, uh, stick by it. Joe, can you talk about how Addison helped you in so many different ways today? Great. I mean, the home, the home run was awesome or, or, or obvious, but the defense was outstanding today. Great defense. How about the tag? Uh, on the throw from Carantini, great tag, uh, good at-bats. The bunt, I mean, that was him. I didn't put that on. That was all Addy right there, which is a great play uh, against uh, that pitcher being a sinker ball, ground ball pitcher. I didn't want to go hit and run because he, do- he doesn't throw a lot of strikes either. So great play, and then that, he was a, that bat pitcher is a perfect matchup for both. How did you choose uh, Chatwood today? Um, that he was available. Um, uh, you know, he's been throwing really well. If Chatty's throwing strikes, he could do anything for us, for anything. He's that valuable. His stuff's that good. You saw the stuff. And one of the most underrated things you've ever talked about, and I'm sure some of you did notice it, how he covered first base. 
I've talked about this in the past. This guy's a really good fielder, and he covers first base as quickly and as, and as theoretically perfect as anybody else, and that really helped Javi make that great throw. Did you have any concerns when he gave up the singles? Yes. <laughs> what happened at that point? He's got to put your seatbelt on. Because <laughs> he has that kind of, he's got ground ball stuff too. <coughs> See this almost two months in, and this is persistent. Uh, that's uh, if I ask uh, uh, of anything of the offense, would be that we continue that approach uh, mentally. It's such a good approach. Um, most pitchers really want to get people out, down, and away, or away. Comebackers are in vogue, slider down and away. They will show you in just for show, and then they want to get you out of way. It's pretty much tried and true. And if you're able to do that, and then you go up there hunting in different counts, you might see that cookie middle in that you like, and you have a strike to give, and you look for it, and you get it. Um, but I much prefer the middle field approach. When you're hitting the oppo gap, you're really, that's probably your optimal swing when you're doing that and doing it the way our guys have been. Yeah, Jay, uh, he's really good on that side of the field. It was, it's great to see all that. Listen, the guy battles constantly. I hate taking him out of the game like that, but there was potential for multiple innings out of Maples had we scored more. I think Anthony's ball gets over the head of the right fielder, then Maples goes back out. I didn't straight up, but um, uh, Tommy. Tommy does a wonderful job of prepping these guys. Joe, when a pitcher pitches well sort of internally, like you as the last three starts, but doesn't maybe have the superficial results, is it hard to sort of – is there a challenge to keeping them from getting discouraged, or is that not something you have to worry about? Not with him. I mean, he, he's, he's pretty good at processing exactly what did occur. What, what occurred is that he pitched well, and he battled for his team, and he got into the eighth inning. That he's going to walk away with that. I totally believe that. He's pretty good at understanding that. The positives that he that he brought to the table today. Um, of course, he'd like to have gotten the win, but he didn't. But that's, I'm telling you, he's such a good teammate. He doesn't get enough credit for that. He's really about everybody else. So, you got to work people. It sounds good. <laughs> Plural. That is Joe Madden yesterday from after the Cubs and the Reds. A crazy game. I was out there yesterday, eight six, but boy, the sun coming out. Uh, just a, a, a lovely, steamy, weird day uh, in terms of the ball game, etc. Here's your Cubs lineup for the game that you'll hear later on on 670. The score against the Cincinnati Reds against Tanner Rourke. That's Nick Shevkowski's buddy from high school, by the way. Um, the, he will face a lineup that has Kyle Schwarber hitting leadoff and playing left. Chris Bryant starting in right field, hitting second. Then Rizzo, Baez, Contreras back in. Jason Hayward plays center and will hit sixth. No Albert Almora in this lineup. David Bodie, after his big pinch hit double yesterday, will play third base and hit seventh. Daniel Descalso in the eighth spot. And then Jose Quintana, who really has been consistently very effective since, uh, what, the fourth start of the year? Since... Uh, since that start in Milwaukee where he got pounded, he has then worked the changeup back in uh, quite a bit. And the changeup, the curve, and the fastball have all been working together. We'll see how far Quintana can go today. Getting seven-plus out of you, Darvish, was was big yesterday in terms of getting through the game. It's amazing. Um, you praise the job that Darvish did in getting through seven. I don't think he should have been back out there for the eighth. And I said as much when it happened yesterday and at the top of this show. 
And a lot of people are like, man, the bar's so low. What a crap-ass job by Darvish. Yes, he gave up a lot of earned runs. He is fortunate to have had an offense do a job for him in supporting. But do you not understand that getting through seven innings for is is a big deal? It was very heavily needed. And he kept going and did not fully implode. Look, you want better? Of course you want better. But take it. That that was a that was an accomplishment in terms of the kind of day it was. Wind blowing out. That Jason Hayward home run was a gift. That's what it was like out there. It's a terrifying day to be a pitcher out there. A pop-up that just keeps floating and floating and floating and goes over. So, Jose Quintana, the Cubs pitcher, I want to know what the White Sox front office thought about Dylan Cease when they made that deal with Jose Quintana. I know what they thought of Eloy Jimenez, but what do they think about Dylan Cease? I know he's the amateur scouting director, but I sure get the feeling that they talked to Nick Hostetler about a lot of pro scouting stuff, too. We'll find out, and we'll talk about White Sox draft philosophy and more with the amateur scouting director for the White Sox. He is Nick Hostetler. He will be in studio next right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 